thatsthenorm.com. Stephanie Scheller is the sales expert, the business disruptor, fighting through the tempest. She is the anti-fool. Welcome to the Anti-Fool Podcast. This is where we deconstruct the wisdom of people from all fields, backgrounds, and walks of life. My role is simple. I play the fool, I ask the questions, and you get the answers. Our guest is the Anti-Fool, the source of wisdom who we will learn from today. I'm on a mission to create the antidote to foolishness, so we can understand the world and ourselves better. Wonderful stuff, right? So... Shall we? <laughs> Hello there, this is the king of all fools, Norm. Welcome to the show. In this episode, I want to talk about sales, trying to close in on revenue for your business. And we're not just talking about making one sale here or there at your part-time job. We are going with a larger scale. We're talking $100,000, $250,000, even up to $1 million, and from $1 million to ten, and even more. But in order to reach that scale of sales, ensuring that much revenue for your business, how do you make sure that you can separate yourself from your business, going from a solopreneur to managing an entire business full of employees, making sure that we have the right standard operating procedures and much more? Who better to learn about this from than Stephanie Scheller? Stephanie is the founder of Grow Disrupt, which is a sales training practice in Central Texas, and grew that in less than 18 months to become the largest, most active sales training practice in that area. As a TEDx speaker, host of a podcast called Black Belt Selling, and a two-time best-selling author, Stephanie has done a ton in terms of sales for her business. With the mission behind Grow Disrupt being to disrupt the way the world does business, Stephanie is on a mission to teach more and more people about sales at different scales, all the way up to seven figures, eight, and much more. But we connected, and I wanted to know more about her story. In this episode, we talked about her origin stories, how horses had taught her how to thrive in business, walking away from a corporate job to start her own sales training practice, and defining disruption in sales and growing your business, how to create it, what to watch out for, and all the problems and issues salespeople can go through at different scales. Pretty fascinating. It was an amazing talk, and it's a great chat, and Stephanie was very personal and real in this conversation. So it's nice to hear about how she is thriving in this world. So without further ado, let's play the fool and learn from the wise by diving into my chat with Stephanie Scheller of Grow Disrupt. All right, Miss Stephanie Scheller, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm great. How about you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. Uh, we just had this pre-chat just now and I'm loving the energy uh, from from you and the fact that I get to have this long conversation because you have done a lot uh, <laughs> in like, what, six years, I believe? Yeah, Is we're, it, we're coming up on six years. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh, end of this month. Yeah, end of this month is six years. Wow. You doing anything yeah. exciting for those six months? Like for those six years, anything special? Uh, no, I, I totally forgot it was coming up. So, you know what? You know what we are? We're going to we're we're totally going to roll out. Um, we're going to roll out something that we've been working on for the past couple of weeks. And now I'm just going to twist it. So it's going to be a six year celebration. Awesome. OK, great timing. What Perfect. a great coincidence. So we'll, probably right? gonna, we'll see if we can talk about that later on. But before we get to that point, right, six years of experience, six years of history, six years of you doing how many different public speaking events? Because I know that you've oh done a God. ton uh, and you've done much more in training people in terms of sales, uh, in terms of trying to grow a disruptive business. We have a lot to go through here. Before we start that, before we go dive into that, I want to know more about your origin story. So, Stephanie, can you tell me, let's do a little rewind back to the origin time. Story. Yes, to the time when you're working with your lovely horses and learning your lessons from them and see oh my gosh. where can we take okay, you. Okay, so way, way back. So yep. <laughs> high school, <laughs> um, uh, even pre-high school, I got I started working with horses when I was 11 hmm. and um, loved it. I mean, I'd always, I, I'd been in love with horses since I was like five or six. So hmm. I was the kid who had like horse posters on the bedroom. I had like a million horse books. <laughs> 
I ran into my mom's bedroom one day, threw myself on the bed. I had six siblings, so relatively large family. And I just never felt like I was going to get a horse because there were so many siblings and my parents didn't have that kind of money for any one kid, right? None of it. So I ran into my mom's room. I threw myself across the bed and I just, I just said, bald. I was like, I'm <laughs> never going to have a horse. And she apparently, this was the first time she realized I wanted a horse. So really? she's like, oh, <laughs> like, and I'm like, I'm like in shock that she didn't even know that I wanted a horse because I thought it was like way obvious. Hmm. Um, but so I start working with horses and I decided I wanted to do this for a living. Like, I love this. Um, I learned so much. I became very mature for my age dealing with, you know, with the horses and then being the second oldest in a large family, you know, helping raise my siblings. And so I grew a lot working with horses and I said, all right, this is, this is it. This is what I want to do. Hmm. And I found this college in Ohio that, uh, you know, I'm in Texas. So Ohio is the other side of the US. So I find this college that offers a degree in equine business and facility management. And I'm like, yes. So I go up there four years. I come back to Texas because I realize I hate the cold weather. So I can't stay mm. up north. And I can't get a job running a barn that's going to pay me enough money to pay off my student loans and like, you know, eat. Okay. So I, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I had taken this one class in college um, about because it was like a horses, horse care, equine care, animal husbandry meets business degree is what it was. So I'd taken a marketing class and I fell in love with this marketing. Um, we had to design a marketing campaign for a nonprofit during the class, and I, I just loved this whole thing. So when I graduated, I said, What's my plan B? I was like, you know what, I really, I really do enjoy marketing. And I saw this ad in the newspaper that like it looked like it was just looking for a marketing consultant. It was like, hey, do you like working with small businesses on their marketing? Do you like designing marketing solutions, you know, creative marketing solutions on a shoestring budget? Do you like? And I'm like, oh my God, this ad was like written for me. <laughs> <laughs> so I go and I apply for the job and I get the job. And my first week, I'm just so freaking happy. And I find someone who wants to work with me as their marketing consultant. And the second week, I find someone who wants to work with me as their marketing consultant. And I'm like, I'm, I'm ecstatic. My boss is ecstatic. And they're like, well, you're not in training anymore. Like you, you clearly know what you're doing. So they take me out of training. They put me in the Monday morning team meeting. And sitting there listening to my boss, you know, give us our pep talk. I realized, oh my God, I'm a salesperson. Mm. Shit. <laughs> like, I don't want to be in sales. I can't do this. And so I shut down for like six weeks and I didn't close a single deal because I didn't, I was so resistant to being a salesperson. Keeping long story short, I got over it. I decided I was going to keep selling the way I wanted to, which was this consultative style. And I did really well. I was the number two rep. They came to me at the end of my first year there and said, Hey, would you be willing to take over the retention team? So I take over the retention team. Things are going really well. I get to the end of my first year, you know, uh, with the retention team. And um, all of a sudden they decide to stop paying my commission check. Oh. Yeah, right. So like I literally like wake up one morning and I go to log in and check my bank account and I'm like, huh, my my deposit's about three thousand dollars light. What the heck? <laughs> like, oh, what's okay. going on here? Um and I got all kinds of stories from you're not getting a commission check anymore to oh, you were never supposed to get a commission check to oh, we're gonna rework it. Oh, your department's under revit. Like I, it, we, I couldn't get a straight answer for weeks. Yeah, and they finally they reworked my department. I ended up no longer the head of the department, just a member. Some guy came in and was running it, and and they said we're working on a new commission plan. And this so, so that's September 2013. By April 2014, they still hadn't sorted it out to pay me a commission check. Oh my god, that is a long time. <laughs> that is a oh lot. My god. At three grand a month, like yeah, yeah that's, that's a really that's, long time. That's a lot of money to oh. be sitting here going like, and I had a base, so like I'm living on my my base, but like three grand a month, that was you know that was a good, that was a lot of money to me at that time, and I was just I was so frustrated and. That April, my my boss told me, he said again, hey, heads up, we finally have a commission plan in place, but uh, there was a mistake made by the company. Um, so you're not going to get a commission again this month. 
Oh my god! How many mistakes are they going to be bringing up or excuses? Oh my goodness! Yeah, like that's yeah. exactly where I was. I was just looking at them and I was like, "This is like, guys, I'm billing out fifty thousand dollars a month to clients for you, mm. and you can't pay me three grand. I mean, we're not even talking ten percent. Like, this is ridiculous." And I just I burst into tears and I told him, "I said I'll be gone by October." This is it. This is ridiculous. You guys can't do this. I flew out to California. I got trained on how to run a sales training business, which was just, it was convenient. Like I was good at sales. My mom was starting a sales training business. So she said, Hey, I've got this like family ticket. You don't have to pay to come. Hmm. So that was what I did. I started a sales training business. That was May, 2014 and May, June, July, August. I worked the sales training business part-time. And then at the end of August, I added it all up. And I was like, Oh, well, wait a second. I just made more money part-time than I did full-time. So why am I doing the full-time thing again? (laughs) (laughs) Was that transition from working for that company and doing sales for, say, a boss over you uh, Mm -hmm. and basically getting your revenue or your profits controlled by a higher power, was Mm -hmm. that transition to doing things for yourself difficult? Or it yes and no. Like I didn't mm. think it was difficult at the time, yeah. but looking back on it, there's it was. Okay. So like in in the moment, because I've had people who are like, well, weren't you scared? Like, weren't you like oh, panicked? And I'm like, <laughs> no, I wasn't. But like looking back, I'm like, maybe I should have been like, <laughs> um, you know, there was there was a lot of I had to learn how to, you know, how to be my own boss. And yeah. I had to go both ways, right? So my, when I, the first week I was my own boss, I was super laid back, super chill. Like I let myself start work late and I let, like just, oh, whatever, you know, super laid back. And then like after the second and third weeks, when I was starting to realize that I wasn't making any money, mm. uh, which was a problem, <laughs> um, that was when I started to like panic and I overcorrected. And for two and a half years, I overcorrected the other way to where I was very hard on myself. I mean, I mean, brute like i was the worst boss i've ever had i'm still the worst boss like i i still i hold myself to a very exacting standard sometimes and this is something i think a lot of entrepreneurs deal with in that they are their own worst boss but they don't realize it because they feel like they should be you know a great boss to themselves but we hold ourselves to ridiculous standards we cut ourselves no slack we have to live with our own boss at that point like <laughs> It's exhausting. Um, And so that was one issue that I had where first I was way too lenient and then I was way too hard and it took me a long time to start relaxing. Um, And the problem with that, because I've seen people, I've heard people who are like, well, you know, you have to hustle for a while. I'm like, yes, but when you're fighting with yourself, right? When like, Stephanie's, if you've seen like the Emperor's New Groove, it's like an old Disney movie. Oh, I love, I love Emperor's New right? Groove. Right, right. Yeah. So Kronk has like yeah. the devil and the angel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so when you've got devil Stephanie on one shoulder and devil Stephanie on the other shoulder, like there's no angel at this point, right? They're constantly beating you up. That's a massive amount of energy that is being sucked away from being able to do sales, being able to do fulfillment, being able to do strategy, being able to be a business owner. And so you're just, I was just, I was very hard on myself and I wasted a lot of energy that I didn't have to waste. So that was one, that was one area that I really, that I didn't feel I was struggling with, but like looking back, I'm like, no, I, I, I really, really struggled. And that was very difficult was figuring out this kind of balance between being my own boss, but also being the worker, but also being the owner of the company. And like, I don't know how I got through that without having like a schizophrenia episode. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I know the feeling. Uh, trying <laughs> to find that balance is a very difficult thing. Uh, yeah. I'm curious, did you try to do... Was there like any specific process to try to achieve that balance? Because I'm assuming that on one end of the spectrum, you're like, ah, you know, just relax, sleep late, uh, wake up late. And on the other side, you set such impossible standards, like you say, mm-hmm. how do you determine whether or not you should relax in some aspects and you should be a little bit more strict in others? I'm really curious about how you do that because I am personally finding it difficult myself. So I think, well, and I think part of it's like a muscle you build. So the more you do it, the easier it becomes. Hmm. Um, but you know, for me, it's, it's, I've had to figure out like, what are the absolutely non-negotiable standards, right? What is, not okay. Right. So for example, I don't have to start work by eight in the morning. Okay. But I am going to work eight hours. 
Okay. Okay. So that also means if I start work at seven, I get to end work earlier, right? And I adjust my schedule that way because I've learned like, so I, I don't want myself working, you know, the, the 12 hours a day that I was working because it wears you out. It was, so I've, I've had to say, okay, so only working a maximum of eight hours a day is that is my, that is one of my non-negotiables. Okay. Which also then forces me to be more productive, right? Because yeah. I'll say, okay, I have to, I have to hit, get these things knocked out today, but I only have eight hours. All right. <laughs> We're going to have to work fast. <laughs> um, the other thing I've, I've, I've started to look at is, you know, when does stuff need to be done and does it need to be done by me? And being able to pull stuff off my plate to free me up, right? That has also become one of the non-negotiables. One thing that I, I really have fallen into that I is becoming a stronger and stronger habit is this concept of working inside your energy advantage. So I only want to do the things that I get energy from. I oh, only want to do the okay. things that I love, right? That get me psyched up. And then my team handles the rest. And that's my, that's my goal is that... I want to do podcasts. I want to do speaking engagements. I want to do blogs and content creation and marketing strategies for clients. I want to interview speakers for our events. I want to do, you know, certain things, but then there's stuff I don't want to do and I don't want to touch it, right? Even the stuff that, you know, my assistant may not be able to handle today, right? I'm, I'm going to call other people on my team and say, Hey, do you want some more hours? Like, do you want to get more work done? Um, I'll call backups and say, Hey, do you want to get some stuff done? I'm not going to take that on. Um, and so figuring out what is and isn't, that was really the key for me is, okay, not everything can be non-negotiable because at that point, you're, you're killing yourself. So what are the core things that are? For me, it's you know working no more than, than eight hours a day. It's taking lunch breaks. It's hitting my what we call my baseline. So I have a certain level of activity that I have to complete each week inside of sales and inside of marketing. and inside. So I, I have certain things, three things for each of those baselines that I have to hit every single week. Oh, okay. um, and then I think one of the biggest keys that really helped me there was um, building a success schedule. So like a time blocking calendar uh, okay. where um, you you block out what your ideal week would look like. I'm going to spend this many hours here and this minute and this, you know, on Monday morning, I'm going to do this and on Wednesday and the week never goes like that. But having it blocked out like that gives you a lot of focus. So you go, okay, and, and I can compare what I actually did in a week to my success schedule and see if I spent enough time in each area of the business each week. So it helps things stay a little bit more balanced too. I like that. Time, bo- time boxing your, your calendar is a fantastic way to introduce some level of structure, especially when you're working uh, for yourself, right? You want to find ways to outsource managerial things because you are your own boss, it's best right. to like have it imprinted somewhere so that you can just refer to it and then be like, okay, instead of being confused at yourself, like, I don't know, about, I don't know about you, but I do this a lot to myself, thinking to myself, like, oh, what should I be doing today? Like that, when I, <laughs> if I start off the day like that, it's, it normally does not go well. Not a um, great side. <laughs> I had a lot of days like that. I don't anymore. I do my, my planning for the day the night before. Yeah. Um, and we use some project management tools. So we're working on some more longer term projects now. Whereas when I started the business, we were working on a lot of short-term projects. Like it was like, what do I have to do today to close a deal? Like to make enough money to pay my bills <laughs> type of thing. We don't deal with that anymore. But so now, but the, we, we traded that out for like, okay, I'm working on a project that's not going to be finished till January of next year, right? Or, or May of next year, more than a year away at time of recording, right? So I'm sitting here and going, okay, I have to then make sure that I'm still knocking stuff out in the timeframes allotted, um, which is very hard for me because I'm super ADD. So like, I'm the kind of person who's like, it's right in front of my face. So I'm going to deal with it. Mm. And then I'm going to forget about everything else. So using the project management software and planning my days helped eliminate that. Like, okay, so what do I need to do today? Like, I don't know. What do you want to do? <laughs> like where I have this staff meeting, where I'm really just meeting with myself. Yeah. I have a lot of it. I've heard that so many times. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. 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 We, 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 Stephanie, Stephanie and Stephanie, you know, devil, Stephanie, angel, Stephanie, I, I've swapped out my devil and devil to, to devil and angel. And they have a lot of conversations and, um, I just get to sit here and listen and sometimes be like, 
I don't know that I can do this. You guys need to stop talking. I'm just kidding. Like, <laughs> they're crazy. They're crazy. They're absolutely Is this the same kind of analogy you would use for, say, when you're coaching someone and they're going through similar phases in trying to start mm-hmm. their own business? Because I know that you... Part of Grow Disrupt is that you help people start their own businesses or at least take mm-hmm. charge in whatever endeavor or initiative that they're doing. Yeah. Because you have firsthand experience going through these, do you find a lot of similar patterns in those that approach you for coaching? And they're like, Emperor's New Groove. Like, <laughs> do you see that? <laughs> I, do you see that I happening? I do. And, and the funny thing is like most of them have no idea that this is going on here, mm-hmm. right? Um, so a lot of times we have two sections of, of entrepreneurs that we work with. Yeah. Um, the under $100,000 a year entrepreneurs. So the guys who are making under $100,000 in revenue. Um, and then the guys who are typically doing upwards of, you know, anywhere between, usually they're between like 1 million and 20 million um, in revenue. So they're established, but they're looking for growth. The under 100K guys, I mean, I can relate to that because I, first of all, I documented my process really, really thoroughly. So I can look, I can scroll back through it and be like, oh yeah, I remember feeling like that. Yep. That was not a good day. Um, but, But I do find like they don't realize they have this going on. They're struggling with anxiety, right? So they're incredibly anxious about paying the bills, about this. I mean, you know, life, everything going on. And they're not looking at it as a devil and an angel on their shoulder because they haven't learned to separate themselves from them th- their thoughts. So one of the one of the most powerful concepts I was taught um, is that you are you are not your thoughts. You are more than your thoughts. Which took me forever. Like I was like, well, if I'm not my thoughts and I'm not my body, like what am I? <laughs> and <laughs> pretty existential, like, but okay. <laughs> right, right. I know. Yeah. Like oh my gosh, going deep here. But but it took me a while to realize. Okay, yeah, no, that's true. Like my thoughts are a piece of what what makes me who I am, but it's not the, it's not the whole of me and not every thought. I don't have to internalize and own every thought that comes my way. So, you know, devil Stephanie sits here and she talks a lot. Like she is very vocal. Um, she's less vocal now that I've learned to, to, to hush her up and, and how to have a constructive conversation. Cause there is value in having her, but I think a lot of entrepreneurs haven't learned to do that. So what's happening is in the back of their head all day long, there's this voice going off. And it's freaking them out about whether or not they're going to have enough money to pay the bills. It's freaking them out about whether or not they're going to be able to retain the client. It's freaking them out about whether or not they're going to get everything done. It's freaking them. I mean, they're, they're, they're panicking over, you know, they can't even think about paying taxes at the end of the year and setting aside money to pay taxes because they're so busy freaking out about how are they going to pay bills. Yeah. And so, you know, and that's just one example, but like they can't think beyond the today. And so I do find a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with that. Uh, The solopreneurs, the startups, the under 100K, they struggle with time management. So they're kind of all over the place. Um, And part of that stems from that fear of not having enough money. So then they take on jobs and they take on work that's outside of their energy advantage. So we use the example of like a graphics designer. So let's say you're a really amazing graphic designer who designs like logos and brands, right? And you're just getting started and you land a new client, you design their brand for them and they're really excited. They love it. And they come to you and they say, Hey, by the way, do you think you could do some social media content creation for us too? You're just so good at these graphics and you understand our brand. Hmm. And so this, this graphic designer wanting to create reoccurring revenue goes, yeah, you know what? I can do that. And they set it up and they don't think it's causing problems. But the problem is it's outside of their energy advantage. They don't love doing it. It's outside of their core competency, right? Which is brand creation. And so not only are they diluting their brand, but they're wasting energy over here. And they're, they're underestimating the impact on their core business by letting themselves get pulled into doing something that they don't love. And so uh, that's one area where I find a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with where they let themselves get pulled into things that they know they shouldn't be doing because they're just trying to turn a buck. They're just trying to make sure that they have enough money. I find a lot of times like startup entrepreneurs, they're underpricing themselves because they don't realize how much work is going in. Like They're like, Oh, I'm charging 250 bucks an hour for coaching. I'm good. Well, that 250 bucks an hour, hold on a second. You have to drive 30 minutes there, 30 minutes back, coach for an hour. So you've got one hour of drive time, one hour of coach time, one hour of prep time. Now you're charging $250 for three hours of work. 
oh, and this person also reaches out to you throughout the month trying to, you know, ask for questions or help or whatever. And so now suddenly you're $250. Let's say you just divide it by four. Now you're not getting paid 250 bucks an hour. You're paid $62 an hour. Okay. Which is still decent pay, but it's not 250 limits their ability to scale. And so there's a whole slew of issues that start coming into play with those, with the small guys. But yes, they all, they all have the same... <laughs> most of the time, they have the exact same five issues. And how does that compare to... Because I have no actual image, or I don't think I know anybody, who is making sales of 1 million and over. We're talking mm-hmm. about a different, completely different ballgame here. Yeah. Uh, I understand the under 100K sales complete because I've actually gone through the exact situations that you've just described, you know, not being refined in what I'm capable of doing, uh, things outside of my energy advantage. I just thought, oh, you know, extra bucks, it should be okay. But then the amount of time commitment to that uh, ends up being pretty bad to me. But yeah. what about the big players? Let's talk about 1 million plus. What what kind of problems do they go through? And I love tapping into these these problems because it sounds they sound like they're doing great, right? It sounds like right. it's all happy and everything. But what kind of struggles, what kind of blood are they shedding to achieve these sales? I want to know. <laughs> what kind of blood are they shedding? I love that. Um, you know, the funniest, the funniest thing, I don't know if it's funny or not, but what's interesting, one of my favorite quotes is, when you get to where you're going, you'll only be more of who you already are. So this concept of like, the thing is a lot of these guys, they somehow manage like almost by accident to get past a million or the in spite of themselves. So a lot of times they're dealing with a lot of the same issues, maybe not quite on the same scale. So maybe they've got better pricing, but it's not always, it's not always great pricing. So the, the five major things that people have to get in place in order to really scale their business. And this is when we talk about disrupting a business, right? Because what was a sales training practice for me when I got started has morphed into this event hosting company. So we put on events for small businesses and we bring in speakers, we bring in experts, all all this cool stuff. And there's five key things that they have to have. And I'll relate this back to the million dollar guys in just a second. Um, But they have to have cash flow and financial management. So they need to have a really solid strategy for how they're managing um, the money that comes in, how they're making sure that they maintain their cash flow. Because a lot of small businesses, they don't focus on cash flow management. And so, of course, you know, this is a really good, you know, time frame to look at who's been doing good cash flow management, who hasn't, hmm. because a lot of businesses are all of a sudden in a lot of trouble because they had to shut down for a month because they didn't have cash flow management. They were just, it was money in, money out, right? So cash flow and financial management is the first one. Uh, and, and these aren't in any particular order. You need okay. all five to do business, period. It's not like one of these is more important. You need uh, standard operating procedures and quality controls, right? So if you're going to do fulfillment, if you're going to build a million dollar business, all right, you have to have quality controls because you're not going to be able to do everything in the company. And so you're going to have to have people doing it for you. This is where a lot of small business, small, small guys under 100K, they can get away without quality controls because they're doing everything, yeah. right? But the problem is they, they stress themselves out. They can't grow because they have like, they try to hire somebody and the person's not doing it right. And so they fire them and, you know, so you got to have, you got to have standard operating procedures and quality controls. You have to have a solid sales strategy in place. You have to have good marketing and branding. And this goes beyond sales. Like sales is converting into an actual purchase. Marketing and branding is your reputation and how you're portraying yourself in the market. And then you have to have people management. And so what happens is when you're a really small guy, you have to have, you have to be good at cash flow and financial management. And you just have to be able to manage your own finances. And you in the business, your your finances are kind of like here. Like Mm. The business makes money, you make money when you're really, really small. Well, as you grow the business, what happens is you have to start divorcing the two. So the business makes money and then you get paid by the business. Okay. And then we start talking about, all right, you have to take profit distributions and a paycheck, right? That's when you know you have a solid business is when you get profit and paycheck. You know, SOPs and quality control. So suddenly you can't do everything. We already kind of talked about this one. You have to actually have a quality control checklist. You have to have, you know, a standard operating. Hey, we do step one, then step two, then step three, step four, step five. Um, the small guy, they're doing all their own sales. Okay. The bigger guy at a million dollars, you're having to manage people to do sales for you. 
You're, you're not doing all the sales anymore. And so your knowledge of sales has to shift where just because you're good at sales doesn't mean you're a great manager. And so now you have to make that transition from I'm doing all the sales to I'm managing people who are doing the sales. Marketing and branding. When you're a small company, you can get away with very minimal marketing and branding. You don't have to think about what is what I'm doing impacting my brand in the marketplace. When you start to get larger, all of a sudden you actually have to start paying attention to that stuff. Okay, hey, we make this move. We decide to put advertising on this radio station, right? But let's say that radio station is, you know, known for having a radio show that bashes small businesses. I'm, I'm just an example here, right? Yep. You are by advertising with that station, like that's your brand being associated with another brand that's not great for your clientele, right? Or maybe you're a doctor and you're advertising on a station that has a whole bunch of, you know, shows about holistic medicine. Right, but you're a traditional doctor, and so you're sitting here going, like, that's my brand being represented over here, right? So you have to start thinking about that stuff. And then people management, right? When you're small, you have to manage yourself. As you grow, you have to not just manage yourself, you have to manage other people. And so where I'll see people make the most mistakes or have the most challenges is where they grow in spite of themselves a lot of times where they didn't really know what they were doing, but they had like a really good idea. And so they kind of like blew up and they got to a million or two or 10. And they're sitting here with this business and they're kind of going like they're scared to come out of their office because they don't really know like what the heck to do. Like, Ah, you know, like I I don't know how I got here. I can't really maintain. Right. So they're, 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 they're terrified to do anything. They're terrified to change anything because what we did worked. It got us here. Right. So it's clearly going to, well, no, what got you to a million isn't going to get you to 3 million. What gets you to three isn't going to get you to five. What gets you to five isn't going to get you to 10. What gets you to 10 isn't going to get you to 20. And people don't think about that. So it's the exact same problems. It's just at different scales. And it's usually dealing with more people and more money. You know, Going back to the... When you get to where you're going, you'll only be more of who you already are. So if you suck at cash flow management as a small company, you're probably going to suck at it as a big company. <laughs> and that's even more scary. Like Nike had issues with this. Like, I don't know. Have you read the, the book? Um, is it Shoe Dog? Shoe dog, yeah, I think. think yeah, shoe, right. Yeah. And yeah, he's talking about this one time when, like, they literally owed like a hundred million dollars by Friday, and he's sitting here going, "I don't know where we're gonna get a hundred million dollars." <laughs> <laughs> it's like you could still grow, but if you had, if you don't fix the problem as a small guy, you're just gonna be dealing with it at a larger scale. Like, so, <laughs> yeah. I like, I like the. Um... I like the distinction because you have uh, the same skills and the same issues that will bring you up all the way up to say seven figures of revenue, like the first, you know, your first million. And I, and I, I think I know that feeling when, when you make your first sale and you're like, oh, this is cool. Everything's still under my control. You're still able to manage yeah. procedures, SOPs, yeah. et cetera, for your current solo business. But you jump from that to making a big sale. You reach your first million. And I think it's, I think it's a matter of the fact that the weight of a million dollars under your name or your character, like yeah. yourself, is what yep. forces you to, or like clamps you down to your office. And you don't want to leave because it's, I'm not sure if it's a mixture of imposter syndrome or the fact that I don't know if what I'm doing right now will take me from 1 million to 3 million. Mm-hmm. And, and I like how you've brought up the fact that now we, to maintain that scale or to grow beyond the 1 million, we have to start changing roles from salespeople to managers of salespeople. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were there a lot of difficulties trying to teach people about that? Like they've been in sales positions their whole life and all of a sudden you're telling them like, hey, you've been doing good, raking in millions of dollars, but you shouldn't do that anymore. You need to manage multiple people to get tens of millions. I think that shift in responsibilities, are, is there a lot of difficulty for that? I would love to hear your take on that. There's yes and no. So most okay. of the time they, they're trying to manage people. And so they have a team that they're managing, but the team isn't performing as well. Hmm. And they're sitting here blaming the market, blaming the sales rep, for not wanting it enough. And they're sitting here saying, well, I could do it and I can still get on the phone and close deals. So I don't know why you can't do this, right? And what happens is they're driving away sales reps. And what they're doing is they're saying, well, I just got to find the right sales rep. 
right? So they haven't internalized that this is actually a you prop. Like when you've gone through three sales reps and none of them have started selling for you, that's not a sales rep issue. Like at that yeah, point, yeah, yeah. there's one common denominator. Yeah. <laughs> it's you. Like, um, but most of the time, that's that's where their head is at. Like, if I can just find the right person, mm. we'll be fine. And so they're not looking at this as a me issue because because what happens is when they they hire a sales rep, they lose the sales rep within a few weeks, or maybe the sales rep you know struggles and holds on for a year but never really takes off, and they they lose it, and so the owner jumps back into doing sales, and they're you know, back in, go, 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 go. And, uh, and, and they're like, well, you know, I'm just proving that it's possible. We just didn't have the right rep. And so getting them to realize, you know, actually you might've had the right rep, yeah. but the management, like getting them to realize that it's not about finding the, the silver bullet. It's about creating the silver bullet, right? You're going to have to take the raw materials and cast and make this bullet yourself if you really want this to work well. Because you and and getting that so there is, there's this process of first getting them to realize you're not going to find a silver bullet. Second of all, getting them to realize you have to you have to craft this silver bullet. Um, which that usually isn't too hard of a leap for them. Cause okay. then they they sit there and they're like, oh, I just need to find the right raw material. Okay, great. And then what I do at that point is now I've got them thinking, okay, I need to find the right raw materials. So now I can start teaching them about managing sales management, right? So, okay, so you know, you you gotta craft the right material. Let me teach you how to craft the right person, right? So that's the approach I've gone with getting people to realize that they, you know need a shift um, because otherwise they, they do tend to be pretty resistant and they're like, well, and, and I, I usually find they have to go through three or four hires before they're willing to listen because they, 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 they can sell so well. They just, they think it, they, they're convinced that they can do this on their own. And, you know, so I just don't even fight with them until they've gone through a couple of hires and realized that it's not working. <laughs> I mean, it's a hard lesson, right? Like you, they it have is. to go through the first few hires for them to realize the limits of where they are right now as their position yeah. as managing these salespeople who are doing, should be fine, but maybe not as not as much as the expectations of that person. So it, it's yeah. when you sit down and realize like, oh, I am the pattern. Like I'm I'm the main reason or one of the biggest factors. Yeah, oh, that's, that'll be very difficult to realize. I'm not sure if I'm ever going to be in that kind of position later on in the future, but <laughs> just just the mere thought of it scares it's, me. I'm not even at yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is really hard, and I think a big part of it is that a lot of small business owners deal with um, with an identity crisis. <laughs> so when when you're really small business, you are the business, right? We we talked about this where you you don't have to worry about quality controls, you are the quality controls. Yeah. If the business makes money, you make money, right? Like there's very little divorce between you and your business. But in order to grow and really in order to grow your business sustainably past the quarter million dollar mark, you have to start separating and divorcing yourself from the business. And so you have to sit there, you have to start to say, okay, the money the business makes is not my money. Yeah. Right. The work that the business does is not my work. This is not mine. This is not my. And you have to start separating yourself just a little bit from the individual pieces. And it's really hard to do. Um, and it's, it's, you have to do it piece by piece by piece. You can't just suddenly be like, all right, I'm divorced from the business, right? Like you'll be, you're, you have to start divorcing yourself from the finances, which is usually the first one where, where people start to realize, okay, the business makes money and then it pays me. But just because the business makes money doesn't mean I make money. Okay. So that's usually the first, the first identity crisis they go through. And then the quality controls and the work, right? Now they're starting to realize that just because the business has work to do doesn't mean I do. And, and I've got to, you know, I've, I've got to, manage the business as opposed to do the business. But I'll, f I'll find a lot of people that don't make it past the next divorce, which is the divorce from sales, which is I'm not the sales rep anymore. I am the sales manager. And they we go through this and you'll see this a lot. Like I can tell if someone's dealing with this because if the business has a bad day or a bad week, the person has a bad day or a bad week. Ah, okay. 
Okay. Right. Because they and their business are the same. Yep. So if they don't make a sale and I, this is, you know, Stephanie just sharing exactly what she went through, right. <laughs> there would be weeks when it would be like, if I didn't make a sale, like I got depressed, I got frustrated because the business wasn't doing well. And when I started to learn to separate the two, it became a lot easier. One, the business started making more money. Um, and, and then two, um, I started to, you know, I started to be able to have a bad day without it impacting the business too. Whereas previously, right, if Steph had a bad day, the business had a bad day. And so when you start to separate, like it, it becomes really important, but a lot of people just can't quite get their head around it. Do you have any advice for those who are approaching that moment? Maybe, maybe approaching that quarter million dollar, I guess that's like the, the standard metric for you to start thinking about this mm-hmm. transition. Yeah. Do you have any advice yeah. for those who want to initiate that divorce? I guess it's like, I mean... I, I guess the very first thing would be a mindset change. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess ew, maybe you have your take on taking a step back and thinking to yourself, like, we have to change how we do things. Yeah. So if you want to, if you want to start to separate yourself from the business, one thing, first of all, you're probably going to have to do it, start doing it in order to get past the quarter million dollar mark. Cause you're going to have to hire, you're going to have to not kill yourself. So, so it, it is a mindset shift. What I want you to start doing is just in your head, like imagine like a Venn diagram, right? And it's mostly overlapping, right? And here's you and here's the business. And, <laughs> and I just in your head, just start imagining the two being separate and they can still stay together, but they can, they can kind of pull apart a little bit. And you know, start with the money. Start with, you know, one of the one of the biggest things that I recommend people do, there's a book called Profit First by this guy by the name of Mike Michalowicz. Um, and that last name is impossible to spell. So just look up Profit First and Mike and you'll you I will, find I will it. find it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it is one of the best books to read for divorcing yourself from the money, for starting to realize that, you know, how to run and manage the the business, right? And then the next thing I encourage people to look at is realize that your job is going to have to shift. As you become, as you start to separate, you will no longer be the doer, you'll be the manager. And so the thing is, most people don't know how to manage, they don't yeah. know how to lead. And so your job now, whereas previously you were trying to learn sales skills to get enough sales in the door to close deals, and previously you were trying to learn, you know, um, functional skills, right? So if you were a website builder, you were trying to learn more website building, you're in you know, all of this stuff. And instead, I want you to start looking and learning management skills. Management skills are stuff like how to communicate with people. Um, management skills are stuff like, you know, project management software. Um, it's, you know, leadership books. And when you start pushing yourself to learn these other skills, this gray area of, I have to manage my team right? I have to manage the finances. I have to manage my team for fulfillment. I have to manage the sales. This gray area of how do I manage it becomes a lot less intimidating. And so you can step back comfortably without freaking out about, oh my gosh, what's going to, you know, what's going to happen. So that would, I would, I would start with profit first. I would start with that kind of visual, like, uh, you know, just, you know, meditate, like just see the diagram, see the diagram, see the diagram, <laughs> right? Which sounds really dumb, but it really does go a long ways to mentally start divorcing yourself. And then I would, I would really start working on learning management skills, real management skills. I wouldn't call that visualization dumb at all because we do it's, have to find many different ways to separate. Like it's, it's a huge moment, right? You've yeah. been working on this business for so long it's representative of you and now Mm -hmm. you have to basically separate yourself like it's like splitting one body into two and then actually making sure that the distinction is clear in your head each and every day you got to build a habit of knowing how to separate yourself from your business so i understand i wouldn't really call it dumb i probably call it imaginative (laughs) it's probably one way (laughs) looking at it you know people i think people underestimate the power of the brain yeah. And when you can start to, I was going through a, a Walt Disney um, biography a few years back and it, there was a line in there and I can't remember the exact line, but it basically said something about how it went from um, the company existing to serve Walt, right? Disney existing to serve Walt to Walt now existing to serve the company, oh. right? And the company, and it was a completely, and and it was that for me, that moment was like, Oh, like, 
okay, whereas previously the company existed to make sure Stephanie could pay her bills. Now the company's bigger than Stephanie. We have yeah. all these people that it supports. And now Stephanie exists to serve the company and help make sure that the, com- the company has become bigger. Yeah. And until you can make that, that divorce, that identity separation in your head, your company will never be bigger than you. And that's where most people get stuck. They get stuck at the quarter million, the hundred thousand. They get stuck at the million. They get stuck at the three million because they they never see the company as bigger than them. And that is probably the biggest differentiator for the companies that attain rapid growth and the companies that get stuck. Seems like one of the largest obstacles to yeah. ensure scalability, if you want to go from 1 million to 10, 10 million to much more, or even from 100K to 250 and actually right. getting over that that barrier or that obstacle, I'm sure that, mm-hmm. first of all, learn to separate yourself from that. I'm yep. sure that you have much more uh, to <laughs> share, especially in Grow Disrupt. To close off this uh, chat, there is a few things that I would like to ask you, a few segments. Okay. Uh, Stephanie... This part is called mementos. Do you have a memento that represents who you are? A memento that represents who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily. So I have my art. You can kind of you can see one of my pieces mm. behind me, and I think it's not a single, but a lot of these, a lot of my art does become a big representation of who I am. Um, my husband asked me why I don't sell any of it. I'm like, it's because I can't sell a piece of my soul. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but it, it really is, you know, the, my art will end up reflecting exactly who I am, where I am, my journey, my growth, um, my struggles. So I think that's probably the closest thing I have to a memento. So is that one the most recent piece that you've done? Um, it's not the most recent. It is one of the most recent and it is definitely one of my favorites. Um, there's actually a lot of art over there, (laughs) my little art studio. Um, I haven't, um, actually, no, this was my most recent piece. Um, and this was, so this was, a that was an acrylic pour. This one is actually a brush, a brush piece. Oh, that's Um, pretty. Oh, that's super pretty. Yeah, so I need to go back. I want to do some some work on the hills and re and flesh those out a little bit more. But um, that was my most recent piece, uh, and um, and I really, I really, actually, really liked it. So it's just I just had a really weird thought come to me. The irony that you are unable to sell your paintings because it's a large part of yourself sounds mm-hmm. like. So- you not wanting to divorce from your business it, of creating. It totally it is. Like- <laughs> you know what? That's, so that's exactly what it is. And my husband gives me such a hard time over this. And <laughs> and my answer to him is always, but the painting is not a business. Like true, I have true. a business. True. I'm allowed to be selfish with this. Thing. <laughs> this is my hobby. He's like, all right, but what are you going to do with it? Because we have a lot of art around the house. <laughs> but um, yes, spot on. Good yeah. observation. <laughs> yeah, if it was a business. I don't know why. I'm sorry. I just made that connection right away. No, no. It's, 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 exactly, it's exactly what it is because it is, it is exactly why I have a hard time selling any of it. And the next segment is a part called Walk Away Wisdom. So say that we walk away from this conversation right now. I meet someone. We become friends and uh, we connect. I become intimate with them and I share with them a large and vulnerable part of my life, which includes this conversation. So mm-hmm. is there a piece of wisdom that I can share with them that represents who you are? I think the the one that I've come back to again and again through the years is this acronym I created a few years back called EFFORT. Mm. So if you think about EFFORT, E-F-F-O-R-T, and it stands for Earned Freedom for Overcoming Real Tempests. And the reality is, you know, Tempest is just storms and we all go through storms. We go through some crazy stuff in life. Yeah. Um, but when we're willing to put the effort in, we earn the freedom to have whatever life we want. So whatever you're dealing with, you know, I, I went through a phase in my life where I was, you know, a quitter or a not finisher, right? I would start this and I wouldn't finish it and I'd start that and I wouldn't finish it. And, yeah. and when I realized that if you're willing to put the effort in, whatever you're dealing with, right, you can be up against some serious crap. But if you are willing to put the effort in, you can create a life you're proud of, no matter what you're up against. And I think that's probably the one takeaway that I try and infuse across the board is you have choices. So make a choice to put the effort in. 
because life's great on the other side. So cutting through the tempest, Stephanie, you have done and put in so much effort to build Grow Disrupt and being in a place where you are proud of where you are right now. Where can we find you if we want to reach out to you? What are you working on right now? Ah, so we, I mentioned earlier, we made that transition from being a sales training company to be an event producing company. Um, So if you go to growdisrupt.com, just simple www.growdisrupt.com, you can see, you know, what we're up to, the new events we're putting on. Um, We are in the midst of launching this really cool quiz that will help small business owners pinpoint what exactly they need to focus on fixing. And then at the end, it's like, okay, you need to fix this in your business. Here's some resources to help out. Um, So I really, really, excited about that. That should be up pretty quickly here. Um, And also Facebook. I hang out on Facebook a lot uh, more than I should still. I'm trying to cut back and it's just not working. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, links to the website and possibly your Facebook. I'm not sure if I can get your link somewhere. We'll be in the show notes below. So... If you would like to reach out to Stephanie for anything sales related or on horses or on effort or maybe even on the tempest that she has gone through throughout uh, her amazing career right now, you can you can go straight to those links. So, Stephanie, thank you so much. And I'll chat with you soon. Thank you so much for having me. And that is it. My chat with Stephanie Scheller of GrowDisrupt.com. She is incredibly knowledgeable about sales. Oh my God, I learned so much. And I never really thought about the different kinds of problems and how they differ when you're trying to scale from maybe less than 100K to 250 to 1 million to even more, like 10 million and such. These are different scales that I myself am not really experienced with, but I have seen seasoned entrepreneurs struggling through that. So it's nice to see that Stephanie is able to, one, cater to that uh, need, trying to help with that scalability, and two, share her personal experiences on trying to do that level, um, trying to achieve that level of scalability. So props to her for being awesome on this conversation. I learned a lot and I hope you have as well. If you do, if you have a business and you're trying to grow in a very disruptive manner, then I'm sure you can learn a lot from Stephanie. And if you are, all is well. Stay warm, stay lovely, fight through the tempests, and I will see you in the next episode. Your foolish friend, Norm. Thank you for listening to the show. Anti-Fool is hosted, produced, and edited by me, Norman Cella. You can find out more about the show at thatsthenorm.com slash anti-fool. It's where I host all my other podcast shows and more. The music and sound effects come from zapsplat.com. If you have any questions, recommendations for guests, and more, hit me up on Twitter, at Normancella, or on LinkedIn as well. There is only one of me in the world. I'm sure you can find me there. I love connecting with people and having warm, meaningful conversations. (laughs) Don't be foolish, alright? Cheers.